We watch uh, our crowd each year, and this is a great crowd today. We're so glad that each of you are here. We wait until we're fairly full, and then we go to two services. So we wanted to say that uh, the first Sunday in November, uh, we'll go to two services. And I know some of you uh, would like that. Uh, so we're going to do it first Sunday in November. It will be at 9 o'clock, and then we'll have a 1030 Bible study. Uh, so it would just kind of flip-flop things. We do this each year, but for those of you that are new, you might not know how that works. That's the way we do it. So uh, I hope, uh, if you like the early service, that you'll come on and, and be with us. If you have your Bible, turn with me to James 1, beginning in verse 19. Uh, today we're going to talk about the importance of meekness. Uh, meekness is not being uh, a weakling. It's not being a scaredy cat. It's not being a lot of different things. Uh, meekness uh, says that you are uh, in charge of yourself, uh, that you have great inner strength, and that you can uh, show that uh, to the world. Well, let's look together at uh, God's word. Know this, my beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rank growth of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. There's an opening imperative here. In the Greek language, there's a thing called the imperative tense, and it means that this is something that God wants us to do. It's not an optional thing. This is something that he really commands us to do. Uh, know this is in that tense. Know this. He wants all of us, each one of us, uh, to know this particular thing. Uh, it focuses attention on the importance of these three brief uh, commands uh, that he gives us as believers. We ought to be quick to hear. Uh, you know, so many times uh, when we walk up to somebody, we both start talking at the same time. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we could do would be to defer and let the other uh, person speak. You know, be quick to hear. Uh, we don't always uh, have to be talking. We can be listening, and we can be paying attention to what uh, others around us are saying. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Have you ever uh, said something that just came to your mind, and you just kind of blurted it out? And it has been thrown up to you 479 times. <laughs> Since, uh, you know, you want to be slow to speak. You want to think over what you're going to say before you say it. Uh, I, I could tell some stories there, but I won't. Uh, we also need to be slow to anger. Earlier in my life, if somebody cut in front of me rudely and almost ran me off the road, I would honk at them. Uh, or if they turned right in front of me or something like that, I would honk at them. Well, 
you know, after a few years of reading the newspaper about people who get out and kill you after you do that, I decided, go right ahead, cut in front of me if you want to. I don't care. Uh, I never, ever honk at anybody anymore. Uh, I have given that up. Uh, I don't want to get shot. There are so many crazy people out there that uh, it just doesn't pay to honk. So uh, we want to be slow to anger. We don't want to just jump right in, you know, and do something that we would really regret later. These words of James are directed to the worshipers of God, to us. These words today are for us. Uh, He wants us to do these three things that he has mentioned here. James is saying accepting God's sovereignty means submitting our habits, our attitudes, our emotions to him. We want to do that. You know, as we grow in our faith, as we mature in in our understanding of the word and the direction that the Holy Spirit is giving our life, we want to to grow in that way before the Lord. Uh, We want to put all of those things in God's control. The religious person who cannot control themselves is really immature in their faith. Immature. We've got to work on these things. You know, it's, it's not something that you just, you know, you're saved and then the next week you're mature. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to kind of put in the time, put in the effort, put in the study, uh, all of those things, and then you gradually uh, grow. Uh, it's one of the great things in Christendom that we have so many uh, illustrations before us. Here in this church, there are a lot of spiritual giants, and they certainly teach me a lot. Uh, As the days go by, we kind of watch them, and, you know, we think, what are they going to do? And then it helps us decide what we want to do about certain things. Although these counsels that were given here in the Scripture are valuable in human relationships, the author's point is to exhort Christians to receive with meekness Here's that word, with meekness, the implanted word of God. We don't want to demand it of God. We don't want to push our way around. We don't want to shove ahead of everybody else. With meekness, we want to receive the implanted word of God in its redemptive power. This word power, uh, the word dynamite, is a word that we get dynamo from, uh, real power. There's real power there. The redemptive power of God is given to us so that we can do these three things that we mentioned earlier. Uh, As we receive with meekness the implanted word of God. In God's word uh, to man, uh, he wants us to be eager to hear. uh, Though his word might come to us from a friend. Has anybody ever kind of taken you off to the side and said, brother or sister, (laughs) I want to mention something to you that you might want to think about. And in a real nice way, they're saying basically, you know, you need to shape up in this uh, particular area. 
And, and you know, instead of getting mad and, and being irritated with that person from then on, we need to say thank you to them. You know, thank you for helping us. Uh, we didn't know that that was offensive or rude or whatever. Thank you for, for helping me. You know, it's the person, when you go out and eat with somebody, it's the person that says you've got a, a big green thing on your front <laughs> tooth there. You know, those are people that you need to thank, not to say, dead gum, you know. Uh, they're, they're trying to help us. Um, well, the, the primary thing here is not a word from a friend, but it's, it's probably a reference to hearing in worship. You know, as we gather together, as people come up and pray, you know, we learn a lot from the prayers of others. As we sing these great hymns of the faith, we, we learn. You know, I've said this many times, but we learn more theology through the singing of the hymns because they're repetitive. We sing them over and over and over again, and after a while we begin to think like the hymn, and, and it uh, is something that we learn that way. Whereas in preaching, you know, you hear it once, and it is not repeated over and over and over again. And so you learn more theology in churches uh, through the singing of the great hymns of the faith. Well, we want to hear in worship. We want to hear what's prayed. We want to hear what's sung. We want to hear uh, as we go through the verses uh, in our text for the day. Uh, we want to hear and we want to grow. A Christian should should receive with meekness the implanted word of God. Now, meekness means, as I said earlier, self-control. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of controlled strength in our lives. Instead of rejecting instruction in anger, the Christian is to put away all filthiness, Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about vulgarity. He's talking about loose morals. He's talking about lying. He's talking about cheating. He's talking about all of those things. Uh, We need to put that away. And all rank growth of wickedness. This is talking about all the evil that's around us. And in today's world, there's so much evil around us. You know, it's just unbelievable to me. Uh, Cindy and I eat out a lot, and we'll be sitting at a table, and the people at the next table, you know, they look like real nice people, and then all of a sudden they'll just start cussing, you know, real loud, crude, you know, crude, crude cussing. And, uh, you know, we just can't believe people are doing it. And then people do worse, you know. They uh, do all these crooked things, and they have a angle on everything that they're doing, and, uh, you know, we just we live uh, today in a rough time. It's like honking at somebody. You don't want to do that anymore. You know, you, you want to think through what you're doing because there is so much evil in the world around us uh, today. Uh, we want to receive the teaching that God gives and put it in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, in our very life. 
We want to have all these things. Years ago, uh, I had a family in my church in Arizona named Morris, and they were dear, dear, sweet people. They were strong Christians. They were active in the church. They did a lot of things, and everybody loved them. And they had a baby, and and they named the little boy uh, Peter Roy. Peter Roy. I thought that was an odd name, and uh, that's what they named him. And he was a cute little boy. And as he grew... He just became one of those sort of children that you would think, well, this kid ought to be in ads. You know, he's, he is so good looking, and he had uh, light hair, light colored hair. And, I mean, he was just remarkable. And everybody, you know, wanted to talk to him and visit with him and everything. When he was about, I guess he was six, seven, eight months uh, old, uh, they invited me over to eat with them at their home, and so I went over, and I uh, sat down, we started eating, and Peter Roy had uh, particular things that uh, he liked to do. He liked to eat with his fingers, and so he would reach up and get whatever it was and cram it in his mouth, and the parents, of course, would tell him not to do that, and they would try and teach him, you know, to use the appropriate utensil, and, uh, you know, he didn't want to do that. And so he'd, you know, reach out with his hands. And then when he would uh, be doing that, they would finally get after him, you know, two or three times for doing that. And so he would take his hands and rub them on his clothes. And they would tell him not to do that, not to do that. And we'd go through that three or four times. And uh, the wife looked at me and says, this is kind of the rigmarole that we go through uh, at every meal. We're trying to train him to have table manners and all that. So he didn't, he didn't rub his hands on his clothes anymore. He would reach out and grab something, and he'd take a little bite of it, and then he'd throw the rest of it on the floor. And he did that two or three times. And they got real, uh, you know, intense on getting him to stop doing that. And then he tried to put food behind his ear. And, uh, you know, he, you can't get a lot of food behind your ear, but he kept trying. And uh, it just is, you know, I sat there and I was thinking, I want to laugh, I want to laugh, I want to laugh, but I shouldn't laugh, I shouldn't laugh, you know, so I didn't laugh, but uh, it was, it was really, really funny. Um, They, they, after the meal, uh, took him back, you know, as they did, I guess, after every meal and, and changed clothes because his clothes were dirty by that time. And then he'd come out, and we would play and talk and everything. And I got to go in that night and, and have a little prayer with him before he went to bed. It was just a great, great night. I'll never forget it. Suppose for uh, a few moments uh, that you could be the child, and God is your father. Let's just suppose that for a few minutes. Uh, he wants you to be clean. He doesn't want you to be dirty. He doesn't want you to gum it all up. He doesn't want you to do this. He doesn't want you to do that. Uh, The way that you become clean is to receive God's teaching, God's uh, word in your heart, to implant his word in your heart. Don't fight him as he tries to clean you up. 
is he tries to correct the things that you're doing wrong. He loves you very, very much. Very, very much. But he wants to to change you so that you will have the right manners and the right uh, uh, action uh, in your walk with him daily. Peter Ray liked to uh, have food all around his mouth. Uh, he, he thought that was good, and he kept doing that and kept doing that. And the parents, of course, would uh, uh, reach over and wipe his face every once in a while. Do you suppose God every once in a while wants to kind of reach over and kind of touch our tongue and say, don't say that. You know, don't say that in anger. Uh, don't say that in meanness. You know, don't, don't, don't do that. And we look up, and the Heavenly Father loves us, and we know that, and so gradually we begin to mature. We begin to grow as he tries to clean us up. Well, the term implanted word probably means the word which is able to root itself, to root itself in our life. It could be translated as, as planted. The very first church I pastored was a little country church outside of Waco, Texas. Uh, there was a man in the church named Truett Hobson. He was a great big guy. He was about 6'4", and he was a farmer, and he had a reputation in the neighborhood for being uh, the best farmer in, in that whole area, and he was a real worker. I mean, he would start work at daybreak, and he would work till night. And when it came to the time to harvest the maize, uh, he would tape uh, flashlights on his combine. And he would go out, and he'd work all night. And I mean, that guy got after it. And everybody knew it, and everybody talked about it. And every year, that's what Truett did. One day, uh, he said he wanted to take me around and show me all of the fields that he works and, you know, kind of have a little visit. So we did. We went out and rode around, you know, saw all the fields, and he managed a whole lot of acreage, had all kinds of different uh, crops. Maize was his biggest uh, crop. That's the thing that grew very, very well in central Texas. So I thought, well, you know, I ought to say something. I knew nothing about farming. I'd never lived on a farm. I didn't know anything about farming, and I didn't want to say anything stupid. And so I was thinking, now, what can I say? And I looked over, and I saw this particular field, and I said, well, what is that? He said, that's cotton. And I felt, oh, I was hoping it was something that wasn't so common. (laughs) And I worried about that for a couple of days. I thought, you know, Truett is going to think I'm an idiot. I'm in college, and I don't know what cotton looks like. And, uh, you know, I, ju- I, just, I just felt real bad about it. Uh, that worried me and worried me and worried me. Uh, and then uh, two or three days later, I thought, well, I don't know anything about cotton, and I don't know anything about maize, and I don't know how to run a combine like Truett does, and I don't know how to work with a tractor like Truett does, and I don't know how to do this, and I don't know how to do that. I don't know when to plant and when to harvest. I don't know any of that. 
But I do know how to implant the word of God. I know how to do that. It's one of the very, very few things uh, that I know how to do. And, uh, you know, when, when I thought about that, I thought about, uh, you know, the crops and all of that. And I thought about, you know, when you implant the word of God, when you Bible study teachers in our church, you that have just taught the hour prior to this, uh, our deacons, our, our mission leaders, all of you, when you implant the word of God, as I know you're doing, that crop has the tendency to grow. You know, it, it grows in our mind. It, it grows uh, and spreads out. And it spreads out in our heart and in our soul and in our life. And it's a wonderful crop. If, if we continue to plant it, it continues to grow. And it's wonderful. It's just absolutely wonderful what happens. The term implanted word probably means the word which is able to root itself deeply in our lives and could be uh, translated as planted. The affirmation that the implanted word has the power to save our souls, save our souls, uh, does not mean that the persons that James is addressing here were not Christians because right at the first of our text, you remember, he said, uh, beloved brethren. These were believers. They just hadn't let the crop spread in their heart and mind and soul and life. The term save here refers to the redeeming of the Christian from the sins of life as he grows in the Lord, as he matures in his faith. If you still have your Bible open, look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then look at the last part of 25. Being no hearer that forgets. You know, the, the hearer forgets. You can't remember everything that you hear. Being no hearer that forgets, but a doer that acts. That's what verse 25 says. He shall be blessed in his doing. Isn't that great? We'll be blessed as we do that, uh, which the Lord has implanted uh, in our life to teach us, to train us as to how we might mature. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this man's religion is vain. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the orphans, to visit the widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained, unstained from the world. Now, the motif of dividing purses, persons into two categories here is, is continued. Verse 22, it says, Doers, and also in 22, it says, hearers only. You know, that's two different groups, two different kind of people. James is not addressing the hypocritical person who consciously wears a religious mask. They have a mask on all the time. 
When they're around Christian people, they put on their Christian man. When they're out with ungodly people doing ungodly things, they put on their ungodly mask. You know, you never know who they are. They keep changing masks. You know, you don't, you don't know. Uh, James is speaking to the person who really thinks that he is religious but is deceived. The possibility that a man can be so blind that he deceives his own heart. This person should move every Christian, everybody that he loves, that he knows, to evaluate his relationship to God. We need to reevaluate every once in a while. Am I closer to God today than I was a year ago? Am I closer to God today than I was when I was 15 years old? Am I closer to God today because I've, I've tried to do this and this and this, to study the word, to pray, to, to witness, to do the, I've tried to do these things. Has that brought me closer to the Lord? Of course it has. Of course it has. For James, this examination is an effective look at personal conduct because he is defining righteousness. He is defining Religion. He is defining Christianity. Uh, he is giving a practical or working definition of discipleship to expose self-deception. Now, James is saying here, if you think you're such a great Christian, you know, James is, has more works. He's more works-oriented than some of the other writers in the New Testament. He says, if you think you're such a great uh, Christian, what are you doing to prove it? How do you prove it? How many people have you witnessed to this year? How many people have you led to Jesus this year? How many times have you missed Bible study on Sunday morning with your class this year? Uh, Do you tithe? Do you give sacrificially to those that are in need? James wants to say, listen, don't just talk about it. Do it. Do it. Don't just be a hearer only, but be a doer of the word of God. Now, James, in a negative way, affirms some uh, religion is vain. It's absolutely in vain. It's worthless. Uh, We know that because we know some people that have been pretending and then after a while they just give up on the pretending and they totally go uh, the way of evil in their life. The characteristics of it are revealed in one's speech, which the person does not bridle. He does not control his tongue. He doesn't hold what he says in check. But the contrast here is a religion of unrestrained words over against one of intelligent action. Some people are always talking about what they're going to do. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know. And if they're not saying that, they're saying what they have done. You know, this is what I did back in so-and-so church. This is what I did with my family. This is what I did with my neighbors. This is what I did in my last church. And while they're saying all that, the, the fellow down, down the ways a little bit, he's doing it. He's not talking about it. He's doing it. He's actively 
involved in ministry and caring and loving uh, those that are around him. The Christian behavior that God accepts is described in two ways. First, it is conduct that implements Christian concern for others. For others. To visit here means uh, more than just sticking your head in the door and saying, Hey, how you doing? And uh, the person says, I'm okay. And then you leave. You know, that's, that's not really a visit. That's not what he's talking about here. It it indicates the assumption of some responsibility for the person. It indicates that you want a means to help look after the person. You know, here in this area, there are a lot of people that aren't able to get out and do. And, you know, it would it would revolutionize our whole community if every one of us took a person. If we took a person and we said, well, this is a person, I'm going to get to know them and I'm going to help them and I'm going to be there for them. You know, if you go into some of the nursing homes and you say, who here never gets a visit? And, of course, they know because they're there all day. They say, well, John over there, nobody ever comes to visit him then maybe you could take John and say, John, you know, go ahead and meet him, get to know him, become a friend, become a brother, become a sister. You know, if we all did that, it would change, literally change this area for Christ. I mean change it, not just superficially. It would change it. Widows and orphans. Now, uh, back then, if you were a widow or or an orphan, as you were put out on the street, you wouldn't be getting a Social Security check. You wouldn't be getting, uh, you know, anything from uh, your past work. Uh, They wouldn't be sending you a monthly check from where you worked for 25 years. Uh, There wouldn't be any great holding that you had in the large bank down the street. You didn't have anything. You know, widows and orphans, they were just put out on the street. The only thing they had was what they had on. That's it. And so James here is saying, you know, we need to to have a, a base of support for people that are in need, for people that don't have, that can't do on their own. We need to support. They didn't have any support whatsoever in that first century uh, community. The grouping here represents more, really, than widows and orphans. It, it, it's, it's symbolic or, or it's talking about really everybody that's in need, everybody that uh, is oppressed. Second, Christian conduct has a personal as well as a social dimension. One is to be unstained from the world, unstained from the world. Here, world does not mean people. It means sin. That's what it means. You know, the world, it's it's talking about evil. It's talking about what is wrong. That's what he's talking about here. The world here is uh, referring to that which is against the purposes and practices of our Lord. 
James stresses authentic Christian conduct in these two dimensions, a personal struggle against sin and its pollution, coupled with a responsible and redeeming relationship with others. Now, that's what we need. That's what we need to do. That's how we need to be involved. Cindy and I are uh, working with some widows, and uh, we take them out every week. And we've grown to love them and appreciate them more and more and more. And, and they, they don't have anybody. And, you know, I think that's so, so good. You know, if, if we, can all, we can all reach out and touch some folks and help some folks and lead some people closer to Jesus. You know, if you're helping somebody on kind of a regular basis, there'll come a time in there when they'll say, why are you doing this? You're not in my family. You're not from Kansas like I am. Why are you doing this? And then the doors open and you have an opportunity to share the Lord Jesus with them. Well, Uh, James wants us uh, to know that we ought to be meek as we approach the opportunities for Christ that present themselves every day. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to stand down here at the front. If there are any in the house that would like to trust in Christ as their Savior, if there's any in the house that would like to come and join our church, we'd love to have you. The doors of the church are wide open. We hope that you'd come. I'll be standing here if the Lord leads you come. Would you stand as we sing?